Hi, this is Jason at BWC. Welcome to this podcast of our adult Bible study on Wednesday nights. Let's join Pastor Pat Dale as he shares with the group. We uh, have gone over the last couple of weeks a couple of smaller lessons. Uh, I want to get into a study on Peter. Simon Peter is probably one of the coolest cats in the Bible. Uh, I love him. I think he's way cool. And specifically, I want to start looking at the two letters that Peter wrote, First and Second Peter. And I want to kind of go through them a little at a time. Um, there's going to be times when we'll do topical studies and it'll be about things in your life. And then there's going to be times when we just get really, really into the Bible. So if you're bored with the Bible, I pray that, that you'll not be bored for the next few weeks because we're not in a hurry. Uh, I began to read stuff, and I, I've read it and read it and read it and read it, and all of you have probably read it. And after a while, it kind of loses its zest, and and it, it begins to be other words. And uh, So first off, let's get a profile of this cat named Simon Peter. Simon Peter Barjona. Uh, you'll see all three of those names when he's referenced in the New Testament. Uh, he's, he's one of the ones that went from a fisherman... To fishers of men, um, we we know a lot of the cliches about him. From what we understand, he was an impulsive guy. He had no problem acting on the moment. Um, history tells us that he was physically a pretty big man. Uh, scripture supports that. Do you remember when Jesus said, "Cast your nets," and they couldn't get it, and Peter goes out there and manhandles it himself? Do you remember that in Scripture? We're going to go into a bunch of scripture, and um, you're going to recognize a lot of these. But I wanted to kind of uh, begin to found, build a foundation upon the author of this book that we're going to be studying. Um, if you have your Bibles, we'll just do some flipping. If you don't want to, we're going to do some quick sword drills here. If uh, if if you just want to take our word for it, that's fine too. But we'll just hit a couple verses and establish who it is we're talking about. Because, you know, there's different James in the Bible, there's different Johns in the Bible, but let, let's just clarify who Peter is. Um, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time, I'm just going to drop some words on you that you probably already know in the beginning. Uh, over in Matthew 14, um, this is going to be a real Bible study. Matthew 14, um, and I'm just gonna, this is just to trigger some of your memories and let's go to verse 28, Matthew 14, 28. And, and, and we're not going to focus a lot of time here, but... 26, I'm sorry, verse 26. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, don't be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And Peter came out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous and he was afraid, he began to sink. And he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately the Lord stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? That's a big thing that Peter's known for. Wouldn't it be cool for you to be able to say, I've done something that no other man besides Jesus has done. I was on top of the water and then I sank in the water. <laughs> he, he's, seen, he's been on top of his faith and then he watched it slip. We've all done that. 
We might not have got our feet wet in the process, but we've all walked on water for a minute, and then we got sideways when we got in fear, right? Uh, staying in Matthew, flip over to chapter 26. And I'm just, I'm just trying to paint you a portrait here of this awesome disciple of Jesus. Matthew 26, uh, verse 69. Matthew 26, verse 69. And if you don't want to keep up with all these in the beginning, that's fine. We're going to get down to brass knuckles here in a minute. Um, this is another thing he's known for. This guy that was braver and more faithful than the other 11 disciples got out of the boat. Check mark for Peter. But he's also known for this. And they spat in his face and beat him, and others struck him with palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Verse 69 says, Now Peter sat outside the courtyard, and the servant girl came to him, saying, You were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them, saying, I don't know what you're saying. And when he had gone out of the gate, another girl, what's up with these little girls, saw him and said to him, who were, who were there? This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who came stood beside him and said to Peter, Surely you are one of those, for your speech betrays it. And he began to curse and swear, saying, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. We see him on the top of his game, and we see him flat denying that he knew Jesus. Not only that, but he cursed people for letting him think that he knew Jesus. This is uh, the life of a lot of Christians. There's times when you're moving and grooving and you're laying hands on people and they're getting recovered. And other times, you are flat busted on the rocks. Let's uh, go over to John chapter 18. And this is just like a little popcorn drills here, I know. I'm trying to remind you, you know these stories. John chapter 18. We talked about him uh, being a hothead. We talked about him uh, having a short temper. Now this is a big man. He's a fisherman. He's pulled in uh, a lot of rigs. He's pulled in a lot of nets. I imagine he would dwarf most of us in my mind. A man that can pick up fishing nets and throw them around like they're nothing. But uh, John 18, verse 10. And Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. It's kind of funny how he denies Jesus three times. But when it comes time to arrest Jesus... He's ready to fight for Jesus, and he cuts off the guy's ear. We see that he's impulsive in that way. Just trying to give you a background of of this guy, we're, we're going to read his letter. But he's known for more than denying Jesus and for being short-tempered and not thought out. He's more he's more than known for being a fisherman and a, and a big man, a strong man. He was so strong that... When they recognized Jesus on the shore, do you remember he's the one that jumped out of the boat and swam to Jesus? I got to I got to revisit a lot of these stories in the past few days, and I was like, man, there's a lot in the New Testament about Peter. Um, but now let's see him on a, on when he begins to come into his own. Flip over to uh, Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. 
This is kind of the progression of the Apostle Peter. Acts chapter 2, if you are a full gospel person, you know Acts chapter 2. And let's look at verse 14. This is about the day of Pentecost. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and said, Men of Judea and all of you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days that God will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And upon thy manservants and thy maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days. They shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and viper and smoke. He goes on, you guys know this sermon. And he's repeating what the, uh, the Old Testament has already said. But here we see him, after he's denied Jesus, after he's sunk in the water, he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Not just anybody is in a position to preach on the day that the Holy Spirit came into the earth. Um, I think it's really cool. And if you skip down to verse 41, another... another uh, great little statistic that we are all familiar with. And then those who gladly received this word, speaking of Peter preaching, were baptized. And that day were about 3,000 souls added to them. This is all familiar to you. I just want to kind of paint him into a corner so you'll realize uh, who this is. Flip over to Acts 3. And... You guys know this story as well. We see this guy begging for money. Verse 6, Peter talks to this lame beggar. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he was leaping and stood up and entered the temple, walking, leaping, and praising God. This is, uh, Peter really came into his own. While he's spending time with Jesus, we see a lot of the uh, humanity, the carnality of Peter. But we see him on the day of Pentecost, he begins to come into his own. He begins to be an effective, effective preacher. He doesn't stop there. um, And we don't have to go there, but over in Acts chapter 5. They heard Peter was in town and they they began to bring cots out to the street, and they were just hoping that the shadow of Peter would fall upon them and that they might be healed. This is how powerful of a ministry that Peter had. He wasn't a cookie-cutter preacher. He didn't have three-point sermons. He wasn't uh, cut and dry in 20 minutes, and I'll get you out of here. This guy moved in power. I want us to really see that. Let me throw a few more things that Peter was there at. He saw Jairus' daughter come back to life. Peter was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when when Elijah and and Moses and Jesus and the places is, is taken up in the glory. He was there to hear the Sermon on the Mount. And we can go on and on about all the things that Peter witnessed in his life. It's pretty amazing. I would like to read his biography. You know what I mean? I would like to, to, from the beginning to the end. 
uh, I think that would be way cool. But the Bible does record a lot about him. And there's other things that, that you can look into further. I just wanted to hit some of the things that you already know about him. Um, I wanted to give the author of this book, First Peter is where we're going now. I wanted to give the author of this book um, just a certain amount of credibility and experience. And I want you to understand that First Peter did not only... He was not only there and hung out with Jesus for three and a half years. He heard the voice of Jesus, but he also heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. What's amazing to me is one of the things is this dude named Simon heard from the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? He said, well, some say this, some say this, some say this. And Jesus says, who do you say I am, Simon? And he says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus tells him, That was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. That was revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. This is way cool. This is a big deal. Because the Holy Spirit had not even been ushered in. The Holy Spirit dispensation hasn't happened yet. Or the time for the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would be upon people uh, for a season, for a time. He would guide and direct. But the infilling didn't come until after the day of Pentecost. So for him to hear... The Spirit of God, while Jesus was still on the earth, the brother was connected. That's what I'm getting at. And in fact, it was so it, it astounded Jesus so much that he changed his name from Simon to Peter. And you are you are going to be called a rock. And because of this revelation understanding that you have, this revelation that you got that nobody else seems to be getting, it's this revelation that I'm going to build my church upon. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I know I'm throwing a ton of Bible verses at you. But I want you to see where this author comes from. Strange thing about First and Second Peter is theologians are split about the actual authorship of it. Judging by verse 1, I'm going to say is Peter. There are those who speculate that it may have been one of, one of his uh, uh, secretaries. There are those who say it may have been one of his disciples that wrote it later. And we could get into all that because of the persecution of the church and the different emperors at that time that were going after Christians as you go through these two books there are those that may think that it's a little inaccurate but I'm going to suggest that because of verse 1 I'm just going to leave it at that I'm going to say that uh, Peter wrote this Um, so let's go to 1 Peter and we'll look at verse 1 understand that in the early church there was persecution you see, before uh, Jesus come along, you had Jews and you had unbelievers, <laughs> you know? And there was, I'm sure, sex of all kinds of goofy beliefs out there. But when Jesus died and rose again, people thought this was an occult. These guys are goofy. They called them the way. <laughs> the way. You'll actually see that in your Bible. Do you remember an old school Bible from the 70s called The Way? I love that Bible. I think it's a New Living Translation. Man, I had one growing up and it was mostly yellow from all my highlights. And I was was even into Jesus back then before I got into the party scene. I was (laughs) really studying Jesus. Um, And actually, it made it to the church and I can't find it now. And it's gone forever, I guess. But they reissued The Way, by the way. Uh, It's it's at Trinity right now if you'd like to get one. Um, So... 
they weren't cool with these Jesus followers. They were coming after them hard. They thought, we need to clean this business up. Because well, Jesus doesn't go along with theology. It doesn't, it doesn't, they didn't receive Him as Messiah. He's just a good rabbi. He's a good teacher. He ain't no Messiah. The Messiah is going to come and set up an earthly kingdom. So they were rejecting Him. So these Christians in Asia Minor, I know I'm giving you a lot of history. Stay with me for a little bit. In Asia Minor, which basically today, if you want to go visit there, you get a flight to Turkey. This is where these guys are written. Peter is writing a letter to the churches throughout Turkey. And they're scattered because they're scared for their lives. They're on the run, a lot of them. And um, so he's writing this letter to those uh, people. It's kind of cool. It's really relevant to us. This is really written to Jewish Christians. We would call them Messianic Jews today. Back then, they were just you know, Christians with a lot of history and, uh, and a lot of law to break through that Jesus messed all their laws up, right? A lot like you if you had a lot of tradition teaching in you today. It's very much like us. It's very applicable to us because you've been persecuted. Probably not to the level of these. Some of this persecution was real. Some of it was like, I'm going to cut you. Some of this is, I'm going to make fun of you. So there's different levels of persecution. I'm going to make it uncomfortable for you. Just like in today's world. In this country, you might have somebody raise an eyebrow and it hurts your feelings. I'm sorry, to me that's not persecution. That's just, get over it. You go to some other countries where they're taking lives for professing Jesus. So this is very similar to us. It, it, this talks about persecution. It talks about your faith. And here's the bummer, guys. It talks about conduct. So get ready. It's going to get tight. Well, we're going to get it right. Uh, it talks about conduct, and he, he flat talks about it. Um, so what I want to do is begin to go through this verse by verse. Uh, those of you who uh, may not be in the deeper waters, come on and try it. Let's just see what happens. I'm not, I'm not going to break down every single word into Greek or nothing, so don't sweat it, don't freak out, don't stop coming. Let's read verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace be to you, and peace be multiplied. Now this is just the, the beginning. But let's, let's not... This is... I know what happens. When, anytime a writer opens a letter, we're like, yeah, this is... And it is. It's written very normal. You can look through Paul's epistles and you'll see, greetings, people. Uh, may God be with you. And... and and we just gloss over them, but, but let's check out verse 2. Be careful that when, when an author opens a book and closes a book, that you don't just read them as, P.S. I love you, and hey, what's up? Be careful that you don't just pass over those. Uh, verse 2 shows us the Trinity of God. Do you see the Trinity in verse 2? We see God the Father. You see the Spirit. Do you see Jesus Christ? There's the, there's the triune Godhead right there. Um, now, let's look at the big word that's really... The word elect and according. 
That's a can of worms. <laughs> the elect of God. Have you ever heard that? The elect of God. Anytime you hear about the elect of God, it'll always be talking about, in Scripture also, the foreknowledge of God. There are people that um, want to get on to the election of God and saying, well, there's only a few people that are going to make it to heaven. And uh, those are the elected people. You guys can probably think of some denominations and, and religions that talk about that. But I won't name names. Let, let me explain it to you the way I heard it, and it's really cool, and, I, and I'm not going to paint myself into a corner here. Is God all-knowing? Now, I think everybody would say God's all-knowing. And the next question is, do you have a free will? Is there anything you can do in your life that's going to surprise God? An all-knowing God cannot be taught anything. He cannot learn anything. Wrap your head around this. God cannot learn anything because He knows everything. That's a trip for me. I had to chew on that for a minute. So when, when he begins to talk about the elect, which was foreknown, yes, you have a free will. But accept him or denying him, you're not going to surprise him. So people that want to start splitting hairs about the elect of God, you have every right to go to hell if you decide to turn your back on Jesus. But guess what? God's not going to be shocked that you never developed a love for Him because He's in the end looking at the beginning. So people that want to get off on the election, uh, that's another rabbit trail we're not going to go down. But according to the foreknowledge, you'll never see the word elect in the Bible without according to the foreknowledge of God. He talks in Psalms 139 that He knew you before you were born. He knew you before you ever lived in a day. See, we talk about this God, and we think that He's our concierge. God is God. He's bigger than our pea brains could ever drink in. So, when, when we try to limit God, we're doing ourselves a great disservice. He knows some stuff. <laughs> and right here we see the Father, the Son, and Jesus, um, and the Spirit. And he says, grace be to you. Okay, okay, that's the salutation. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. You are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, go back up to verse 3. Begotten again. What's that mean to us? See, these are words we gloss over to get to the good part. Well, I was begotten again. Begotten again. That sounds real, sounds real Greek to me. Exactly, that's right, exactly right. Born again, begotten again. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus? Nicodemus was like, how can a man be born again? Does he go back into his mother's womb? John chapter 3. He says, no, no, no. You've got to be born of spirit and of water. So you, ha- you must be born again. And right here, it's reestablished again. This is the rebirth to be begotten again. To the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Guys, if Jesus didn't resurrect, His death is not such a big deal. <laughs> There's Bible verses that you all could probably think of right now. If he's still, if he's just dead bones in the ground, we're kind of wasting our time here. Yes, it's awesome that he took his stripes for our healing. Yes, the chastisement for our peace. All that's that's awesome that he took that on the cross. But if he hadn't come back, we wouldn't have a living hope. We'd have a dead hope. <laughs> See, the disciples believed that He was the Messiah, but they couldn't wrap their head around, Jesus is going to die. It's like, cool. Do you remember, uh, they're saying, hey man, let me be your right hand man, let me be your left hand man, and even the mamas got involved, said, hey, let my son be up there with you when you're on your throne and you're over this land, and Jesus is like, wait a minute. Those who want to be first need to be last. And He begins to download some crazy truths into them right there. Um... He had to come back to life, or this is all for naught. Because when he died, he had to go offer the blood and come back. Because death can't keep him. Um, let's look at verse 5. I, this, this one's really grabbed my attention. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. How do you get the power of God? How do you have access to the power of God? Do you have it because you beg a lot? Do you have it because you come to church a lot? This Bible says that you're kept by the power of God through faith. So this is, this is talking to Pat Dale because if I don't feel the power of God in my life, it's not that it's not there. It's that I'm not holding on to my faith to experience that power. Check yourself. The power of God through faith. And and then it goes on, I love this, for salvation. Ready to be revealed at the last time. I love uh, James chapter 1 verse 12 says this, God will bless you if you don't give up when your faith is being tested. He will reward you with a glorious life just as He rewards everyone who loves Him. The power of God is going to keep you through your faith. Faith is not some word that... Quit religionizing. That's not a word. Quit over-spiritualizing the word faith and making it a churchy word. It is. But it's a personal thing. Man... I tell you what, when you're not operating in faith and you get a taste of somebody that walks in the room in faith, you recognize it. I mean, it's like, dude, I used to think like that cat, but now I'm in a dry season. Pastor and I went to a a conference last night and, and at the end there was altar service and this guy, old school dude, he's been around since the 50s, been preaching the machine for 40 years. And he started laying hands on people, and he got this wide-eyed. I mean, you could just tell the anointing was all over. He's a wild man. I was like, yeah, I've, I had that a few times. And it, wept, it, it whetted my appetite, because this brother was operating in so much faith. You're not going to feel kept if you're not operating in faith. I'll give you an example. If you're not feeling faith-driven, your questions... Most of your prayer life becomes questions. 
God where? What? When? You're not being kept. You're not being content because you're not operating in faith. And then you begin, God, where are you? God, where are you? God, where are you? If that is the basis of most of your prayer life, which I think we're all guilty of on some level in some seasons, that tells us, not that there's anything wrong with petitioning, of course, but that tells us if we don't feel kept, if you feel insecure, it's because you're not working through your faith. If you feel abandoned, you are kept through your faith. All right. Let's go on. Verse 6. We'll, we'll read a couple verses and we'll just stop. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. <laughs> Everyone said that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's read verse 8. To whom, having not seen, you love. Though you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. The reason this is so much us, Bethesda Worship Center, 2012. There's so much in here, guys. Uh, I'm just digging it. Do you remember we talked about the waiting a couple weeks ago? The waiting. Do you remember when we talked about the man born blind waited 38 years? We talked about the woman with the issue of blood waited 12 years. Verse 7 says that the genuineness of your faith... We're not talking about your lip service faith. We're not talking about your singing faith. We're talking about your faith, your, the genuine faith that you have, being much more precious than gold. It's ironic, isn't it? A lot of us are, some of our biggest faith is for money. And he's saying, compared to money, your faith is so much more precious than gold. The very thing you're believing for, the power to get it, is much more precious than what you receive. Just thought I'd throw that by Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and glory. There's going to be a purifying that happens. There's going to be times when you have purifying experiences. Tested by fire. There's such a spiritual connotation there. You can talk about the gold that that actually gets purified. And if that gets purified, how much more will something as precious as your faith get purified? There's going to be times you walk through the fire. Just ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were guys of faith. Just ask Daniel. Guy prayed three times a day. Still had to go through some stuff. There's going to be purifying experiences. I think it's really cool, too, that verse 8 says, Whom, having not seen, you love. Has anybody laid their eyes on Jesus in this house? See, this church never hung out with Jesus. And yet they believed Him. Sounds like us today. I've never met the man in person. I've never shook his hand. For lack of a better term, it's introduced to you as a concept. And there's faith in you to receive that as truth or not. I've never met Jesus. 
but I believe that at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. I've never met Jesus, but I don't believe that you'll walk into heaven without proclaiming Him as your Savior. I've never met Jesus, but I don't believe you can get your healing any other way. I've never met Him. And He's talking to this church and saying, Listen, you guys have never met Him, but you believe Him. In fact, you believe Him so much, you get happy about it. You ever see somebody dancing about a Jesus they never met? That's pretty crazy when you think about it, right? Um, Verse 9, Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Guys, the purpose of our faith is not to get a new car. Yes, faith will bring blessings in. But you don't have faith to get new junk. The goal, the end, the purpose, the resolution of your faith is to be saved from a devil's hell. But how many things do we use it for? We, 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 <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with asking for things, guys, but your faith is not inside of you just to make things nice for you. The goal of your faith is to be saved. I'm liking it. Let's read 10 through 12. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was with which was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand in the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things that the angels desired to look into. That's kind of cool. I want you, uh, just for a moment, to think about if you were Isaiah. The Old Testament prophets are writing things they can't really understand. They're talking about things centuries in their future. God is telling them, write this down. They're like, what? What if... What if you were Isaiah? This is probably one of my favorite passages. What if you point? What if you coin this phrase with the help of the Holy Spirit? What if you were the one that wrote BC? What if you were the one that wrote, "He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not." Surely He's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him not, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray and turned our own way. And the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed, He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. What if the Holy Spirit told you to coin, write out these words. You better know that Isaiah and the Old Testament prophets, the other ones that are throughout there, had faith because they're talking about someone they never met either. You see, the two groups of people, the prophets never met Jesus and they declared Him Lord and Messiah. 
Our current day church has never met Him, but we declare Him the Messiah. Neither of these groups of people ever met Jesus, but they wholeheartedly believe in Him. Pretty cool. What about Isaiah? This is the problem with our limited intellect. I'm going to write about a Messiah that's going to die a horrible death. I mean, he lays it out there. He lays it out there. In, in my estimation, there are certain things that Isaiah writes that we don't even can't even be captured quite as eloquently in the New Testament. I love that Isaiah passage because he says that he lays it all out. And remember, this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is even born. What if you were Isaiah and saying, "Wait a minute, God, you're telling me to write about this awesome Messiah that we've all been looking for, but he's going to be beat." He's going to be crucified. Now, before I write stuff down, I like to make sure my logic sounds it out. I want to make sure that it, you know that I don't look like a goofball writing some goofy things on a page. But Isaiah is being told to write these things. I'm going to write about this Messiah that we've been looking for forever, and he's going to he's going to die a horrible death. And at the same time, you're telling me to say he's going to live forever. Oh. See, we're, we're hindsight 2020, but if you were 800 years before Jesus, wouldn't it trip you out? It blows me away that the prophets begin to write, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And they're sitting there thinking, spirit? This, this little power that moves on me from time to time, it's going to be, with, it's going to be without measure upon all people? Not just church people, all people. You're telling me this thing that makes me special in my calling is going to be upon all people? It's got to be a trip. I want you to understand how much faith these guys had to have to write down the words that comfort us, that we see come to pass. We're like, oh man, don't you remember? The first sermon Jesus wrote, I mean, the first, Jesus, the first sermon that Jesus spoke said, I've come to bring freedom to those who are bondage I've come to set free the captive he's reading Old Testament right there how much faith did it take see it's faith that keeps you it wasn't even in their era but they're writing about it I think it's really cool maybe I'm going on and on uh, verse 13 therefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. Gird up the loins of your mind. Back in the day, guys wore dresses, essentially, right? (laughs) They wore these long things, so when it's time to run, they're going to pull it up so they can get boogieing down the path, right? You ain't going to run... In a long dress. Any of you ladies have ever tried it, you feel pretty goofy, I would I would think. I've never done it. I'm just taking somebody's word for it. That if I, if if a dog was chasing me, I'm gonna hike up my skirt to get out of there. I don't know. So I'm gonna gird it up. So when he says gird up the loins of your mind, that means get to working on your minds, people. Get ready, because your mind is gonna have to have some work done to it. Go to work on your minds. Gird up the loins of your minds. Be sober. 
and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and I hate it that he says, don't be the old you. You know that goofball that you used to be? That goofball that still tries to come to the surface? Don't be that. Don't act like that. Don't be a punk like that. That's how I would write it. Verse 15, 16. But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. This is what Jesus told Moses when He's giving him the law back in Leviticus. He's saying, I'm writing this so you can be holy like I'm holy. Now, I know me. And I know my best days. <laughs> and, and, and He's suggesting that in my conduct, I can be holy like God's holy. I can be pure. I can be set apart. I can be sanctified is a word that we used to use back in the day. Set aside for His use. I can be that just as God is. That's I, I can't... What? On my best day, God. We're going to get into some really cool faith stuff as we go. But He's saying that my conduct needs to be right. I need to live right because it's the right thing to do. That's tough. We don't hear a whole lot of preaching on that these days. If you watch Christian TV, we talk we talk about getting new stuff. That's the gospel these days. Peter wasn't really worried about your Mercedes Benz. He was telling you to be holy as God's holy. Man, I don't know how many stadiums Peter would sell out. I don't know. Just wondering. We can be sacredly pure. You know, by God telling Moses to do that, I'm giving you these words so you can be like me. And by Peter telling this church at Asia Minor, be holy just as God's holy. It's not a mirage. If He's telling us to do it, we can do it. I, 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 I don't want to think more highly of ourselves than we should. But the Bible says that I can be holy just as God is holy. Now, I'm obviously a, 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 a knockoff of God. I'm obviously a version 1.0 compared to God. I'm obviously... But then when I look back at the Bible, I have creative power in my mouth. And the things that I decree, and the things that I say, I have creative power because life and death are in the power of my tongue. I, the Bible says I can speak to mountains and they'll be removed. Sounds like a powerful God. If it's all fantasy, why do they tell us throughout the whole New Testament, Jesus Himself... Why does they? Why do they keep telling us to be something that is impossible for us to be? He wouldn't. He ain't playing with us. He ain't yanking our chain. He's saying, "What about Jesus? That you can have the mind of Christ." What? You see, we've got so based because we know our shortcomings. We're like, man, I'm never on my best day. I know how jacked up I am. 
And the enemy wants you to understand that you're jacked up. He wants to magnify how many times you screw up. He wants to show you how many times you've failed. He wants to show you how many times you've set goals and failed. Because if I can keep you thinking that way, you'll never become godlike. You'll never become to be able to speak things into existence. You're never going to be able to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Because you know how you are. And if I can keep you debased, you're never going to walk in that crazy faith. You're never going to have those visions that was prophesied. You're never going to be there. How many times have you heard that? That's for those. There's, there's, there's five people on the earth that can operate like that. But me? No. And as long as you think that, you'll never be there. And you'll get used to living in your excuses. We get used to it. We say, I'm only... I can just... I know me. My history says that every time I get here, I start stepping back. Every time I put together two good months, I have a bad one. God says, be holy like I'm holy. Be pure. Man, that, that is a trip. I know it is, but He's not toying with our emotions there. I'm going to open it up at this point. I can't wait to get to Second Peter. That's real, I almost started on Second Peter because that's... Man, that's really some good stuff. I want you to start reading First and Second Peter. Read them over and over and over. It's a short read list, man. A few chapters each. If you can read them and read them and read them and read them, it's going to blow you away. Don't read over them. Read them. There's so much meat there. And there's more that we could have gone into. And we just looked at, what? 16 verses. But Peter knows some stuff. Whoever wrote this, I'm going to say Peter, or Peter's assistant, or Peter's uh, one of Peter's disciples. It doesn't matter to me. It's the Word of God given for doctrine. Thank you for joining us for this Wednesday evening podcast from Bethesda Worship Center. You can find more out about us at BethesdaWorshipCenter.com and by liking us on Facebook.